Good evening, church. Uh, this evening, I'm very excited to be here, and I'm very grateful for the uh, board of URC Church for giving me such an opportunity to share with you. Uh, I'm also very excited to be part of the people who are preaching on the doctrines of grace. Uh, as we have been looking through the doctrines of grace in the past few weeks, uh, in the past two weeks, it was uh, Mr. Kevin McGarvey preaching on effectual call, and today I'll be preaching uh, on the doctrine of regeneration. And so, before we read the Bible, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you because of this wonderful evening, and we thank you because of the doctrines of grace. Thank you so much, Lord, that it is through these doctrines that we have come to know more about the ways you have saved us. Thank you so much for all the people who have preached before me, and thank you so much for those who are going to preach after me. Lord, I pray that as we are here to hear your word, may you use me as just a vessel, may you speak to your people, and that your word is going to come with power to the hearts of your people, and that my uh, preaching will not just be out of performance, but will be edifying to the souls of your hearers, O oh Lord. We pray for your grace to be upon us, and that we may open the eyes of your people. May you make the hearts of your people as a fertile soil upon which your word is going to fail and germinate and bear fruit. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we are going to be looking at the doctrine of regeneration, and the passage that we look at is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 1 to 10. I commence reading. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a desire of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Amen. That's really a long passage. It is a long passage, but take heart, I'm not going to preach word by word. Uh, in this passage, we are going to be guided by three questions. As we are looking at the doctrine of grace, we have to understand what is regeneration and why do we need it. And secondly, we will look at who is responsible for regeneration. Who is responsible for regeneration? And thirdly, we'll look at what should be our response to this truth, to the doctrine of regeneration. What should be our response to the doctrine of regeneration? As we have just read in Ephesians chapter 2, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has introduced our passage by telling us what the true identity and the condition of the believers at Ephesus was prior to their salvation. And this was not just true for the Ephesian believers, but it is as true to us as it was to them. So as we, as we have read this passage, I want us to engage with the passage. Don't read it as you are reading for somebody else, but get uh, wherever there is a you, you should put ourselves there. We should put ourselves there. When it says, for you were dead in your season trespasses, you should consider yourself as the one being addressed in that passage. Because it was not just meant for the efficient church, but for the rest of us. So to begin with, what is regeneration and why do we need it? In simple terms, regeneration is a new birth, a radical change from being spiritually dead to becoming spiritually alive, or to say a transition from darkness to light. However, according to the passage that we have just read, the word that Paul has used to, decry, uh, to describe the efficient believers, which is certainly the same word which is suitable for us, is the word dead. He says, you were dead. And as I said, when the Bible says you were dead, it is talking about you and me. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And that means the best way for us to understand the word regeneration is that it is to be understood as being made alive or to be given life. Regeneration means we have been given life. We were dead, but now we have been given life. It is the language of life and death, and of course, the shorthand definition of the word dead means the absence of life. So when the Bible says we have been regenerated or we have been given life, it means previously we were dead and now we are alive. So there is a contrast. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. If we may want to understand why the Apostle Paul has used this uh, term death in this passage, I want us to just view what a dead person looks like. Back in my home country in Africa, I have attended many funerals. 
And uh, one of the common practices that happens in the funerals is body viewing. I don't know if that happens here, but one thing that I've noticed when we are viewing uh, a person who has just passed on, there is something that is that changes. The face remains the same. You can identify the person who has passed on. You can identify the face. The face is the same. Everything remains the same. The skin color, the face of the person, everything just like a normal human being. Sometimes you might even think that the person is just sleeping, but they are dead. And that's one thing that has always been in my mind because I've attended to many funerals and every time they say we should view the body, I've been among those who go and view the body. And there is something that is fundamental. Much as the face is the same, everything is the same, we can identify the person, but one thing identifies this person and the, that thing is the absence of life. When the person, when the life has gotten out of the person, you can talk to the person, but he's not going to respond. You can shout his name. They are not going to answer because there is no life in them. So dead means the life is not there anymore. And the Apostle Paul has used this illustration deliberately. He uses the word of death deliberately because he wants us to understand the extent of the work which was to be done in our hearts for us to be regenerated. He could have said, you were sick, but now you are healed. But he doesn't use that. He's not, he's not saying you were sick and you are now healed. He's saying you were dead, but now you are alive. Why is he using the language of death? The language of death that Paul has used does not mean, uh, it doesn't mean that we were just unconscious or maybe we were in a spiritual coma, but rather we had completely lost our life. There was nothing in us. It means there was nothing in us that could enable us to draw ourselves to God for salvation and nothing good in us that could move God's hand to act upon us. In fact, we had no sense of our own sinfulness. So we are living in sin, but we couldn't even realize that we are living in sin. That's how much this dead state uh, was to us. It was so crucial that we couldn't even recognize our own sinfulness. We should therefore be convinced that the language of death in this passage is not an exaggeration. That is how we were before God uh, regenerated us. We were dead. And as we read in verse 2, that it is the state under which we walked. We walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is to say that death, which has been described in verse 1, does not imply that we are, just, we are passive in every sphere of our lives. Rather, as a uh, Arthur W. Pink puts it, he says, it is true that man died spiritually, but death is not an extinction of being. Spiritual death is simply alienation from God, 
as it is, in, uh, as it is put in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. However, the spiritually dead men are very much alive and active in the service of Satan. So much as we are dead in your sins and trespasses, but you are very much active in the service of the devil. You are dead in your activities towards God. You couldn't do anything to prompt yourself or to draw yourself closer to God, but you are very much alive in doing the works of the enemy. That's why it is called spiritual death. The ability of spiritual death, uh, the inability of a spiritually dead man lies in no physical defect. He has the same fit to take him to the place where the gospel is being preached as he has to walk with the to the theater. He has the same eyes by which to read the Holy Scriptures as he has to read the world's newspapers. He has the same lips and voice to call upon God as he now uses in idle talk or foolish song. So too he has the same mental faculties for pondering the things of God as he now uses so diligently in the service of other things. And it is because of this that man is without excuse. So much as we are dead in your sins and trespasses, but we are so much alive in your activities towards, God, uh, towards the Satan. And because you were able to use your eyes, we were able to use all the mental faculties of our being in saving Satan. It is for that reason that even at the end, man is going to have no excuse. That is to say that in his unregenerate state, a natural man voluntarily chooses to live in aversiveness to all the commandments of God. He has all his faculties misplaced towards saving Satan. A spiritually dead person is like a walking dead man. In describing this condition, the Puritan Thomas Boston says, Thomas Boston says, the natural man's affections are wretchedly misplaced. He is a spiritual monster. His heart is where his feet should be, fixed on earth. His, feet, his heels are lifted up against heaven, which is his heart should be set on, as in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. His face is towards hell, his back towards heaven, and therefore God caused him to turn. He joys in what he ought to mourn for, uh, to mourn for, and he mourns for what he should rejoice in. He glories in his shame, and he is ashamed of his glory. He hates what he should desire, and he desires what he should hate. That's a spiritually dead person. He's always aversive to every spiritual good, and he is always quick to everything that is dishonors God. As it is pointed in verse 3, we ourselves lived among the sons of disobedience in the passions of flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Brethren, what we have just looked at in, this, in these three verses is true for every single one of us. Apart from the grace of God, this was true identity our true identity in our former lifestyle that we lived. 
This is the condition of every natural man in their unregenerate state, the state from which God saved us from. We were no different from every other person we see walking in their unregenerate state out there. We are all as dead as the Apostle Paul has just described us in this passage. We can all recall how depraved we used to be. We were so quick in following the passions of the flesh, regardless of how sinful they were, and regardless of how offensive those things were to God. We had no regard for the glory of God. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. It is true for the Ephesian church, and it is true for us as well. The verse actually says we walked in those sinful passions, which means it was not something that we simply did once in a while. This too says we walked according to the passions of our flesh. It means we, it was like our lifestyle. We walked in that sinful state. It was not just something that we did once in a while, but we lived like that as sinful people. We lived and walked according to the wickedness that was in our hearts. And that is why the Apostle Paul says we were children of wrath. And what does, me, what does it mean to be a child of wrath? This means that we were enemies with God. That is to say, in the literal sense, that we were enemies with the most holy God, the God whose eyes are so pure as to look upon evil, the one whose wrath is always hot towards sin but we offended him without feeling guilty or without feeling conscious that we are offending the most holy God. That's how dead we were. We couldn't recognize our own sinfulness. And this is why the doctrine of regeneration is very important because there is nothing good in verses 1 to 3. It's all bad news. Dead in sins and trespasses, walking according to the passions of flesh, following the prince of the power of the air, it's all bad news. And that's why we needed to be regenerated. We needed to be given life. We needed to be made alive in Christ. And this takes us to another question, which is a second point in our outline, as to who is responsible for regeneration. How do we get saved, in other words? Other religious teachings In other religious uh, teachings, it states that there is a mutual effort in salvation. They say salvation involves becoming righteous like God. The basic assumption is that God cannot accept you unless you are righteous. In other words, they put the responsibility of regeneration on a sinner. They say that the sinner should work on himself towards becoming good, and when he's good, then he can go, and, uh, he can go to God for acceptance. And if he is good enough, then God is going to accept him. But nothing can be further from the truth. Because the Bible has just told us that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. In other words, we couldn't go to God. We couldn't take it in the first step towards God to ask for forgiveness. We were dead. We couldn't make ourselves righteous. We couldn't make ourselves right before God. So as we have noticed in verses 4 to 7, man has no ability to come to God by his own strength. The good news, however, is what we find in verses 4, 
uh, downwards. It says, but God. This verse starts with saying, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is nothing that can be ascribed to us. It is nothing that can be attributed to us. We did nothing. The only answer why we are saved today is because God gave us life. But God, being rich in mercy, he saved us. It is, as it says in John 6, verse 44 and 65, Jesus Christ himself says, no one can come to me, uh, to Christ, except, through, uh, except the Father draws him. And this is exactly what we are seeing in the rest of this passage. We cannot go to God by ourselves unless God draws us. Verses 4 to 9 introduces us to a new identity that we have in Christ. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And looking at this verse, we should be convinced that there was nothing on our part that we could contribute towards our own regeneration, but God's mercy and love without which we could still be dead in our sins and trespasses. Writing on this topic of how does man get regenerated, John Murray says, God's grace reaches down to the lowest depth of our need and meets all the pressures of the moral and spiritual impossibility which inheres in our depravity and inability. And that grace is the grace of regeneration. It is when we take into account God's reactive power and grace that the contradiction between the core of God and the sinful condition of man are called, uh, and the sinful condition of the code is resolved. So it's like there is always a conflict, the tension in the heart of man that needs to be resolved. And John Murray says, the grace of God goes deeper into those parts of our hearts and work in our hearts, resolve those issues, and then at the end of this regenerating power, the resolution comes out and we end up becoming regenerated, not because we have done something, but because the grace of God has gone deep in our hearts and it has uh, transformed our hearts, kind of an operation of our hearts, transforming our dead heart to become a living heart that is able to respond to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Using another illustration, John Murray says, we are as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we are upon the action of our parents in connection with our natural birth. We were not begotten by our father because we decided to be, and we were not born of our mother because we decided to be. We were simply begotten and we were born. What John Murray is trying to say here is that there is no action that somebody who has been regenerated takes. There is nothing that somebody who has been regenerated contributes. Just as a baby does not contribute to its own birth, so it is to somebody who, is becoming, uh, who has become regenerated. 
A baby does not choose who's, uh, his father or his mother. He's just the recipient of whatever has happened, and he's born, that's all. And John Murray says it is the same with becoming a Christian, with becoming regenerated. In other words, this is simply to say that the whole work of regeneration is completely in the hands of God. We only become the beneficiaries of it when God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, works in our hearts. And that is how it is rightly said that by grace we have been saved, not by human merit, not by our own doing. I remember some time back I was listening to a sermon by Dr. Aracis Pro. He was preaching on... Uh, uh, Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 3, where it says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. Dr. Spro says, many people use that passage to mean that God is knocking at the door of sinful hearts, and God is waiting for these sinful people to open the door of their hearts so he can come in. And Dr. Spro said, that's a very long illustration, because God does not knock on the doors of sinful people. And he says, the reason God cannot knock on the doors of sinful hearts is because dead people don't open doors. And it is true. If God was to be knocking at the doors of sinners, waiting for them to open the door so he can come in, he says God could be knocking forever and nobody could open the door. Because in our sinful state, we are as dead and we can't even hear that God is knocking on our door. So Dr. Arsis Pro says, when God wants to enter somebody's heart, he just enters. He, he never bothers to knock. He knows better that even if he knocks, this dead man is not going to open. So he just comes in, and then he changes your hearts. By the time you think you are regenerated and you desire God, it's because God has already regenerated you. We do not have a sense of opening any door for God. Therefore, brethren, in order for us to better understand the depth of God's grace as it has been used in this passage, we need to consider the fact that God did not wait for us to repent of our sins before he saved us. Otherwise, if that could have been the requirement, then none of us could have been saved because just as a dead man cannot open doors, so also the sinners, they cannot initiate their own regeneration. They are dead. Or to be more precise, we were dead. Therefore, brethren, if you are saved, it should not be attributed to you or to your own ingenuity. Rather, in his love and mercy, God worked in your heart by removing the dead heart of stone and gave you the heart of flesh, as it says in Ezekiel 36 the heart that is now able to yield to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Our last point, what should be our response to this truth? First of all, this truth should humble us, knowing that we did not deserve it. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not our own doing. We need to be humbled. We cannot take credit for this. We ought to give God all the glory for the great work that he did inside us. Whereas others are still deep in their 
sins and trespasses are still living in their sins and trespasses, God has regenerated us. And all we can do is to give him the glory. We cannot attribute this salvation to ourselves. And secondly, this truth should quicken us to minister even more, especially to those who have not yet heard the gospel. As we have read in verse 2 and 3, there are people who are still walking and under the power of the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the children of wrath. We should always remember that we were once just like them, as the scriptures has pointed out in verse 2. We were regenerated after hearing the gospel, and it should be upon our hearts to, react, uh, to reach out to those who are still walking in their sins and trespasses with the gospel, because it is only by the preaching of the gospel of Christ by which they are going to be uh, to hear the experience, uh, they are going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit uh, work in their hearts, and it's the only power by which they will be transformed. Notice in verse two that we formerly walked according to the course of this world. But after we are originated in this, in verse 10, the Bible says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. This means that when someone is regenerated, the indication is not simply manifested in their profession, but rather even their works bears witness for them. In other words, the walking continues but there's a transition. Formerly, we walked, we were dead in our, in our sins and trespasses. Now we have died with, uh, together with Christ and we have been resurrected together with him as verse six says. So the walking continues, but now there is a transition because formerly we walked according to the pattern of this world. But now that we have been regenerated, we are expected to walk according to the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, as it says in verse 10. And so my appeal to you this evening is that let us walk as people who are regenerated by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, walking as God intends us to live and to walk. We cannot continue walking in the, following the passions of our flesh, whereas God has saved us there should be a transition. We formerly walked according to the passions of our flesh, but now we should walk according to the good works that God has prepared beforehand, that those who are saved should walk in them. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Lord, thank you for this wonderful time you gave us to share. Lord, I pray that as we have shared, may you use this word to speak deep in our hearts that we may live according to your word, that we may live and preach your gospel to other people who have never heard about the gospel, and that just as you resurrected us, you regenerated us, they also may be regenerated. Father, we pray all this, believing and trusting in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And in whose name we pray, amen.